from Nevada Public Radio. I'm Joe Shaneman. It's State of Nevada. It's pretty common knowledge that for most of human history, society has been dominated by men. But that is changing. Richard Reeves, a social scientist and senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, says women are blowing past men in education and many other areas at a rate that really wasn't expected. Reeves is going to give a talk about that at UNLV later today, and he's with us now. And now, Richard Reeves, welcome to the program. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. First of all, um, you know, you've really delved deep into this topic, and I want to get into some of what your research has shown. Your book is called Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why it Matters, and What to Do About It. What was the impetus to look into this? Well, the first thing is that I'm I'm a dad myself. I've raised three boys on, on both sides of the Atlantic. And so I was seeing the world a bit through their eyes, including the education system. And I think that all scholarship is at least a little bit autobiographical. It's affected by our own personal experience. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important just to be honest about that. But also just in my, my day job at Brookings, doing work on educational inequality, economic inequality, family change, racial inequality, I just kept stumbling across or rather kind of running into data points where I saw boys and men really as the ones who in some cases and some dimensions and particularly for some groups were, were really the ones who were struggling in terms of upward mobility, in terms of educational outcomes, in terms of mental health, which is obviously a big issue now, much higher suicide rates for men, for example. And I didn't think that the conversation about that was a very good conversation right now. I thought that the polarization of the debates around gender and sex meant that we weren't having a good faith, honest, straightforward conversation about, huh, what's happening with the boys and men now? Mm -hmm. Because just raising the subject runs the risk that, oh, you're one of them. Yeah, yeah. Who would want to even, yeah, right. Yeah, you're you're frothing at the mouth. You hate women. It's all the fault of feminism. Mm -hmm. You know, before you know it, you're Josh Hawley. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, Senator Josh Hawley, I should say. And so, uh, there's, there's, it's just an area that people feel like they're treading, treading on, like on, on eggshells. And, and it seems to me that the data is pretty clear. There are a bunch of places where we should now be really worried about boys and men, including in education. And that should be a straightforward policy problem rather than a massive culture war battle. Is that the reason why uh, you, you wrote in your introduction about how many people warned you against mm. writing this kind of book? What were they saying? They were saying that the mere fact of writing a book that draws attention to the specific problems of, of boys and men, no matter how it's written, no matter what tone it's written in, no matter how many facts you marshal, will just it just will position you uh, as being on the alt-right, as being a conservative, as being anti-feminist. And, and there's just no avoiding that, that particularly the center-left media will just either dismiss you or attack you, um, and no one will take you seriously. You'll, you'll damage your reputation as a scholar. And the more that was said to me, the more determined I was to do to actually write it, because, of course, that's the definition of a vicious circle. If, if by definition this subject is one, that can only be addressed by people who, frankly, have some kind of axe to grind, um, some kind of political agenda, then we've just vacated the entire ground. Mm-hmm. And then we wonder why we have this huge problem in our politics and our culture, because straightforward social science people like me, a little bit boring like me, uh, if I can say that, like if we don't talk about it, then we shouldn't be surprised if a bunch of other people come along. And there was a the quote that I, I used from Daniel Schromenthal in the book where he said, it's an axiom of, of political and cultural life that if there are real problems in society and responsible people don't address them, irresponsible people will exploit them. And I thought that was what was happening with this whole debate about men and masculinity. And so I wanted to kind of step into a more centrist position. Mm. Well, let, let's get into some of these issues or some of the statistics and what you found. The first chapter of your book 
is titled Girls Rule, Boys Are Behind in Education. And you have years of research on boys and men in education. Talk about that. What, what, what did you find? So education is, I think, a fairly straightforward story, which is one where in the last few decades, uh, girls and women, since they've had more opportunities opened up to them, have not just caught up with boys and men, but have overtaken them very significantly at every level of education and pretty much every, every almost every subject now. And so let's to put a data point on it in higher education, for example. If we go back to 1972, which is an important year in US educational history, because that's when Title IX was passed to really promote women and girls, at that point, men were about 13 percentage points more likely than women to get a four-year college degree. Today, women are 15 percentage points more likely than men to get a college degree. So in terms of four-year education, at least, we have a Title IX level gender inequality in education, it's just flipped, it's the other way round. Uh, and then you can go into high school and you can talk about the fact that two thirds of those with the highest GPAs are girls. It's every school district, you now see girls, in the average school district in the US, girls are almost a grade level ahead in English, they're caught up in math. And, and that's true around the world, by the way, that's not just a US issue. And so there seems to be something going on here, which is just that once we opened up the, the opportunities for girls and women, um, they really did just not, as I said, not just catch up, but right, massively overtake. And yeah. so now, gen in education, at least, it's pretty clear that the gender gaps almost entirely go um, to disfavor boys and men. So are men falling behind or are women surpassing? Are men staying the same level yeah. or are women just going ahead? Yeah, well, it depends which measure you're on. I mean, it's, you're right that, that most of what we're talking about so far, they're relative measures. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Right. When you talk about a gap, we've always got to be careful to say, well, what's happening in absolute numbers? You could, And what's generally happening is that there's an overall rise, not true for every measure, by the way, but there's just a much, much faster rise for, for women. In recent years, there's been a bit of a drop in college enrollment for both, um, but actually even more so for men. And there was an absolute cratering of college enrollment for men in the pandemic. Uh, and so in the recent years anyway, it's been it's, it, the general picture is of a, of a rise, but a much slower rise for men and for boys than for women and girls, which creates this gap. I mean, the same is true, for example, the gender pay gap. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit different, the gender pay gap, actually, because median male wages have dropped, which is one reason why the gaps come down. But the point, the point is that you mm. can have this relative gap opening up. And then the question to ask is, do we care about that gap? And if so, why do we care about it? And if we do care about it, what should we do about it? We shouldn't just assume that a gap is bad news. Uh, it might be great news that, that women and girls are so far ahead in, in education, especially what happens in the labor market. But we should at least, that should be, a, that, that scale of gap should be enough for policymakers to just pause and have a look. Okay, I, I want to get into why we should care about that. But I wonder what you think is behind this gap. In education, I think there's a few things going on. One is, I mean, the, the, the big story is simply that, like, we, we took the brakes off. We broke the ceiling for, for women and girls, by and large. Um, and that, I think, revealed the fact that there are certain ways in which they're actually at a natural advantage in the education system. Number one is that they, their brains develop earlier. They hit puberty earlier, their brains develop earlier, and they develop what social scientists call non-cognitive skills much, much, more, uh, much earlier than boys, on average. So that's like, it's called the prefrontal cortex, bit mm -hmm. of the brain. I call it the turn in your chemistry homework bit of your brain um, <laughs> because turning in your chemistry homework is really difficult you have to take it home do it take it back remember to hand it in go to your chemistry class there's a whole bunch of processes and if you're a woman or a girl listening to that that might sound easy but for an adolescent boy Mm, a bit harder. And if you don't believe there's any difference between the adolescent development of um, boys' brains and girls' brains, just go into any classroom of 10th graders and ask them to open up their book bags. 
um, and have a look at the difference. And, and it's not that girls are smarter than boys. It's just that they develop these organizational skills, this future orientation, the ability to kind of plan, execute on a plan. They just develop their skills a bit earlier than boys. So if you have a system that's geared towards those skills, which we do by and large, that's why their GPAs are so high. It's almost, it's, I mean, they should do better, right? They, they, have the, they have better skills. But I think the other two things briefly are there are fewer and fewer male teachers in our public schools. Yeah, I, I found one statistic that said 75% of K-12 through teachers in this country are women. Seventy, Yeah, just above that now, 76. And that's a drop um, uh, in the share of men um, since, the, uh, since the 80s. Interestingly, the share of men in private K-12 schools is t- trending up a little bit. Um, and so there might be a bit of preference choice going on there. I don't know. But fewer and fewer male teachers in elementary schools. There's only one in 10. There are basically no male kindergarten or early years teachers. As a share of the profession, there are twice as many women flying U.S. military planes as there are men teaching kindergarten. Uh, and so we've just got this huge gender segregation. And, then the, uh, and, and that matters, actually, especially in subjects like English. Actually, having more men around really helps, uh, I think, the boys in the classroom. And especially if you get a good uh, – and it matters particularly if you're a boy of color. So for black teachers and uh, Hispanic male teachers. And then the third thing is we, we're underinvesting in vocational forms of training and everything else equal – uh, vocational forms of training through apprenticeships or technical high schools seem to favor boys' learning styles a bit more than girls. Again, everything here is on average. And there's a woeful underinvestment in those forms of learning. Add all those three things together and you have an education system that through no, it's not a conspiracy, it's just an accident of history. The The education system right now is a little bit more female friendly on average than it is male friendly. And I think we see the results of that. The, the subtitle of your book is Why It Matters and What to Do About It. I, I'm imagining some women listening to this program and nodding and saying, well, yeah, obviously it matters. I mean, look at where we were for, for eons, you know, since the dawn of, of people, you know, it's been male dominated. Mm-hmm. But why? And that the only reason we care, we care about it now is because men are falling behind. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. It's the answer would be okay. So we've had I don't know conservatively ten thousand years where like, like on every dimension that matters, men, men and boys have been ahead. And so, and in just the last you know in evolutionary time, in the last three seconds, women and girls have pulled ahead of men in certain areas of society. Certainly not all. And now you're freaking out. Suddenly we're having this conversation. Wait, 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 right? And I not only do I understand that instinct, I share that instinct. I I, I totally understand that instinct. Um, but if we, I don't think very many women actually think, okay, let's have 10,000 years where it goes the other way now. I don't think many mums don't care if their sons are struggling in school. What we actually want is a society where we're rising together, where we're equally flourishing. And if it turns out that there are now, albeit quite recently, some areas we should worry about boys, particularly in our school system, that's okay. And, and so I think it's important to understand that reflex and that reaction but I don't think we should stay there. I think we've just got to follow the data and say, look, if this is what the data is telling us, then it's not in anyone's interest, including women's interests, if boys and men continue to struggle in education and therefore the labor market and therefore in family life. And once you get past that initial reflex, which as I say, I understand, mm-hmm. I actually think you can have a much more productive conversation. There are very few people that, that actually think that for a world of flourishing women, we need a world of floundering men. Most of us want us both to do better. Richard Reeves is a social social scientist, senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington, D.C. He'll be giving a lecture at UNLV later today on his new book of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why it Matters, and What to Do About It. The gist of the book is that men and boys are falling behind women in education and a lot of other areas. They still are pretty dominating in the labor market, but women are rapidly catching up. And 
There's also a concomitant increase in depression and sort of a lost sense of purpose being seen in men and boys. And Joanne in Sun City joins us. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, this is just impo- uh, just so interesting because I lived this. I started teaching high school in 1975, and um, pretty much girls were taking home ec, and uh, there was no real girls sports until Title IX. Title IX changed the whole ball game, as far as I'm concerned. Um, girls started to compete which they hadn't done prior to Title IX. And um, they started to excel in the classroom as well. And it was so obvious because we put the pictures of salutatorians and valedictorians on our walls. And up until Title IX, it was pretty much 99% males. Wow. After that, and when I retired in 2013, it was pretty much all girls. (laughs) And... um, you know, uh, the brain development has a lot to do with it, and competing against girls has a lot to do with it. Um, boys in ninth and tenth grade are a little goofy, and um, their way of competing was to not be academically good, but to be showoffy. Yeah. And um, and I. <laughs> I often wondered, I would love if I could go back in time and make an all-boys class and an all-girls class. By the way, I taught social studies, okay. which is pretty pretty much a boy-dominated sort of mentality. Um, but if I could have an all-boys class, I wonder how that would go. Um, the competition with girls wouldn't be there, and uh, they wouldn't have to act goofy. And... Um, yeah, it was just something I, I'd like to uh, pursue, but I'm mm-hmm. retired, so <laughs> okay. I'm not going to. But, um, uh, yeah, I do agree with the concern. I I was concerned when I left that boys were just wallowing and not stro- uh, thriving mm-hmm. in education. Yeah. Yeah, Joanne, thank you so much for that call. It brings up a question, uh, Richard Richard Reeves. There's a question she basically stated that if girls weren't in the same classroom, maybe uh, the the boys, the young men wouldn't be acting goofy or trying to show off. But I also wondered, is part of this, and, and this is part of something you've mentioned with social media influencers, you said that some are exploiting men or teaching them the wrong thing, maybe teaching them that being macho and uneducated is the way to be. I mean, you see that mm. on the internet all the time. I mean, so there's two, there's two aspects to this. Uh, talk about both of them. Yeah, I think it's a great story, Joanne. Thank you for sharing that. And I think most teachers would, would actually uh, have a similar experience. I think three quarters of high school valedictorians now are girls, probably a little bit higher than that. And that just shows you this huge overtaking. And this point about the goofiness point, yeah. I think there's two things going on there. One is just, as I mentioned earlier, boys' brains develop earlier, partly because uh, later rather, because they hit puberty later. They don't develop this prefrontal cortex. Ninth grade actually appears to be a really important moment where you just see that difference, just a huge difference opening up between girls and boys in terms of their development. And if the boys start to feel like they're just failing, right, they just feel like they're just inferior, essentially, uh, in the the classroom, I think that might lead them to become goofier and look for status, look for purpose, look for meaning outside the classroom. Because after all, they're struggling in the classroom. That then creates, I think, this sense of like, well, where are they going? They're going online. They're looking for people. And and they find internet influencers who actually can convince them 
to go against what they see as these, quote, feminine values. And what I'm worried about is that educational success itself starts to be seen as a feminine thing, as a girly thing, as something that girls and women do. And that's, that's a disaster for our education system. If, if masculinity somehow becomes defined against success in the classroom, problem. But the, the boys are struggling in the classroom. And so if we don't acknowledge that fact and address that fact, then no wonder they might feel a little bit left behind because we're not we're not tackling it properly. We're talking about a, a fascinating study by Richard Reeves, a social scientist and a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in D.C. The book is about, it's called Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why It Matters, and What to Do About It. And it really is talking about the... I guess it's the decline in the academic reach of young men and the increase of the academic reach of young women. Also with us is Magdalena Martinez. She's an associate professor in the Department of Public Policy and Leadership at UNLV. She focuses on educational sorry, focuses on education policy. Professor, welcome to State of Nevada. Thank you for having me. So you focus on education policy, access, equity in education. Are you seeing what Richard wrote about? Absolutely. And in fact, about two and a half decades ago when I was in graduate school, this issue was brought up. And I was one of the first ones to um, have a knee-jerk reaction and say, wait a minute, why are we focusing on men now? Just as women are getting ahead. Yeah. Um, And so uh, obviously I have a very different view now um, as a mother of a son. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will say also that the issue of men being left behind has been um, something of grave concern for education scholars for at least two decades, but in particular, um, black and brown boys, right? And I think that um, there's a greater awareness around that um, nationally and locally. Um, but I think what Richard is saying is it's, it's not just black and brown boys. Clearly, they are at a greater disadvantage on many fronts, but it's all boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so certainly, yes, I have seen this uh, from a research perspective, um, from a personal perspective. It, it's real. It exists. Yeah. As you mentioned, experience matters. Mm-hmm. You, you have a son now. Now, mm-hmm. it's a concern. If if you hadn't had a son, if you didn't have that concern, that personal concern, why do you think women should, overall should be concerned about this? Or should they? Well, I think Richard uh, uh, stated it very eloquently in that, um, you, you know, we, we have, it matters, right? We, we're all on this earth together. <laughs> we all know males. Um, and so it absolutely matters. Um, I have niece, I have nephews, I have uncles, I have, you know, people that I care for that are men. Yeah. And Richard Reeves, is I wonder if you use your crystal ball and see how this might matter on a, a larger societal level, how this could impact society overall. I, I'm worried that if we don't address early some of these educational gaps, and I completely agree with Magdalena that it's the most disadvantaged boys and men who are definitely the ones we should most worry about, including the boys of color, but and especially black boys uh, and men, um, but also work, you know, working class or from poor, mm-hmm. you know, poorer white boys are doing really badly yeah. in school as well. 
Uh, what happens when they hit the labor market? Well, they go into the labor market, and we're already seeing this huge drop-off in male uh, labor force participation and employment. They, you can't get jobs without some education now in the labor market. Maybe your dad could, but you can't. And so there's men really struggle in the labor market. That makes it much harder for them to kind of form stable families, to find someone who wants to be a partner to them. It's harder for them to be a dad. That has consequences for the next generation. And by the way, family instability and poverty seems to affect boys more than girls. So this intergenerational cycle of disadvantage, I think, is worsened. So roll it forward. If we don't start addressing some of these issues in the classroom and in colleges now, roll forward 10, 15 years. These men are struggling in the labor market. They're retreating from the labor market. They already account for three quarters of opioid deaths four times more likely to take their own lives. And, and what I see is this sense of drifting, purposeless, lost men. Mm -hmm. And that just creates all kinds of problems for our families, for mothers, for our labor market, and for society. And the last thing I'll say is <clears throat> it makes those men, I think, quite vulnerable to reactionary messages, mm -hmm. whether online or at the ballot box, which mm -hmm. is, yeah, it's all these women's fault. It's the women's movement. Let's go back. Weren't the 50s great, guys? And there's a real, dem there's a real appetite for that message right now, which mm -hmm. really worries me. Yeah. That's Richard Reeves, and we're talking about his book and his uh, research that basically shows that men are falling behind women academically and also in a lot of other areas. Uh, their increase in sadness and depression in this country. Jenny from Las Vegas, welcome to the program. Hi. Um, I just wanted to offer that um, the, the approach to this conversation, um, the first thing I thought of, although I appreciate the the focus sort of shifted more to racial issues, but um, my initial thought was that it reminded me of sort of people saying that racism, uh, racism's dead because Obama's president. And I think while, you know, statistics are important, that if you actually talk to women about our lived experience, not much has changed. And um, it reminds me, if you actually talk to black people, many of them will say, regardless of Obama being president, not much changed. That's a really good point. Uh, Richard Reeves, do you want to weigh in on that? Well, I, I'd love to hear Magdalena weigh in on that because yeah, Magdalena. You're, you're a woman. Let's hear if you think the lived experience of women is different today than it was 50 years ago. Well, um, I wasn't around uh, that <laughs> lot. Well, I was around. But sure. certainly the lived experiences matter, and they matter a lot. Look, I'm the daughter of Mexican immigrants. My mother had a second-grade education. My father had no formal education. He was a farm worker. Um, and I'm the youngest of six and the only one born here in the United States. Has that shaped my experience, my educational trajectory? Absolutely. But here's the difference, and I think this is what distinguishes the United States, quite frankly, is that I'm a product of social policy. I'm a policy of progressive social policy. I had English language classes. I had teachers who were black and brown, primarily because that was what was available to them in uh, urban LA. Um, I'm a product of affirmative action. I was able to go to some of the most elite institutions in the country. Um, so I'm a product of sound social policy. And I think that um, our lived experiences should inform that. And I think at this moment in time, we're seeing something happen here and that we need to respond with the appropriate social policy. Mm. We did for women and we need to also for men. And Richard Reeves, what could that be? Mm. 
How, what kind of policies might there be that could change this? Well, the first thing I want to do, I mean, I want to agree with Magdalena, and I think that Jenny's right about the experience of Obama becoming president didn't change the lived experience of, of, uh, of black people. If we'd had a female president and women weren't earning more, weren't getting more educated, weren't, then I think the analogy would hold. But 40% of women earn more than the average man today. It was only 13% in 1979. There were massive changes in the lived experience of women, I would suggest. But what do we do? Well, I think we should look at a, a massive, aggressive recruitment campaign of men into our classrooms. We need more male teachers. We need them soon. And particularly men of color, actually. Um, more vocational training schools. Like, I would love to see a technical high school in every city in America. So that, And that would particularly benefit boys. It would benefit some girls as well, but particularly benefit um, boys. I also think we should look at, given these developmental differences, we should, we should look at actually starting boys in school a year later so that they're a year older just because of the development, developmentally there's that gap. And actually that's very common in private schools already, which is for boys to start later, which actually levels the playing field. It sounds weird that, that we would do that, but that a 15-year-old boy actually with a 14-year-old girl, developmentally they're a little bit closer together. And so those are the kinds of policies we should be looking at uh, in order to, to help those boys and men who are struggling in the classroom right now. Changing something like that in this country would be uh, monumental, even even a small incremental change. But I, I'm kind of wondering what reaction has been to your book. Like after this book came out and you have your recommendations in the book, does anybody say, yeah, yeah we need to do that? Are you hearing that from any policymakers? I am hearing a lot of people saying, A, we agree there's a problem. Okay, that's a huge thing. I think just getting agreement, there is a problem here that is worthy of attention and addressing. Number one, there's big agreement on that. Number two, yes, it would be good for this change to happen. Say, let's just take one example, you know, paid leave for fathers. Or another example, more men in our classrooms or more men in caring professions generally. People are like, absolutely. More technical high schools, absolutely. The question then is, okay, how? Where are we going to get the money? How do we do that? How do we operationalize that? How do we turn that into policy? And that's, I think, where it gets difficult because the things you'd have to do might become politically unpopular. So, for example, should we have scholarships for men who want to go and become English teachers in K-12 education? I would say yes, just as we have scholarships for women into STEM subjects. Yes. But immediately then policymakers start, wait, what? Scholarships just for men? And I'm like, yes, or something like that because we need that now. And so when you actually come to a policy, the politics rears its head again. And, and changes like that don't come about when you make the suggestion once. It usually, I, I, mm. you know, I've just been yeah. in the news for too long. We're talking like 10 or 20 years. Sure. You suggest it now, we're talking about maybe a small change 20 years from now. Yeah, you have to prepare the ground for the change. I mean, right. it took quite a long time for people to be persuaded that actually it was very important that women had equal educational opportunity. You're like, well, they were going to be mums. Why did they need to worry their pretty heads about a college education, et cetera? It took decades of the work from the women's movement to say, no, education matters. So I know this is a long game, but I'm reasonably pleased that people at least seem to recognize there is a problem here that does not – addressing this problem does not require us giving up on continuing to do the work for women and girls. That's a zero-sum game, and we're refusing to do the zero-sum game thing. So I'm, I'm pleased at least that we're having this kind of conversation, frankly. But yeah, it'll be a long game to change policy. We're talking about a fascinating new book by Richard Reeves. He is a social scientist, a senior fellow at Brookings Institution in D.C. The book is called Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why it Matters, and What to Do About It. We're curious about what you're seeing out there. If you're a teacher or you were a teacher, had you seen that gap as as women and young girls overcome men educationally and academically. And Russ from North Las Vegas, welcome to the program. 
Hello, thank you for taking my call. Um, yeah, um, I think there's a number of issues at hand here, but um, I, I think far too often sometimes it's cultural where, uh, I mean, I, I grew up in a situation where my parents weren't, weren't uh, educated and uh, not knowing uh, what it takes to do well in school is really important. And, you know, to them, they would say, well, yes, uh, you know, they, they didn't know what to do as far as how, how, how to be supportive and how to, uh, what does one do in order to do well? And, um, and, uh, and, and, and I was alive 50 years ago. So I've seen the changes that have happened. And I think it's, it's just an, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think it has a lot to do with opportunity as well. If someone feels like there's going to be an opportunity for them to actually do something, uh, of, of value or something that they know that they'll enjoy. And I think that's what happens. A lot of, a lot of people just give up. And, um, uh, and I think it's sometimes it's just difficult because some maybe just socially, they're not getting the, you know, the, 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 the motivation that they need in order to, 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 um, to, to, to allow them to, to prove to themselves that they, that they, they can actually do it. And I think in, in my case, you know, I, I struggled a lot. Um, I, I know that I had at a very young age, uh, I could do a polynomial algebraic equation when I was in second grade, but I had a teacher uh, who would tell me uh, um, that uh, you know I should ignore you know, all the, how simple things were for me and and uh, not to uh, to progress and do things. So it, it set me back, and I mm. kind of had a negative response yeah. to education, and so um, I then kind of shut it all off. And I think that's probably maybe another thing is that sometimes kids, you know, whether it's at home, it could be a number of issues yeah. that affect them and, and how Actually, they this, learn. this brings up a really good point, Russ. <clears throat> and and I, I want to turn this to Richard or Magdalena, whoever feels good about answering this. Uh, it brings up a cultural issue. And we talked earlier about how 75% of K-12 through teachers in this country, 76%, are women. I wonder if female teachers... Um, maybe dote on young girls or, you know, in the classroom more than the boys thinking the boys, they're going to be fine and they'll make it. And from their own lived experience, they think the young girls are going to leave, leave, uh, need more attention than the boys will. Do you have anything on that, Richard? Yeah. The evidence is, is the female teachers are a little bit more likely to see kind of certain kinds of behavior from boys as problematic. That's really where the evidence is. I don't think there's not much evidence that they're sort of favoring the girls okay. in some way. I don't I don't think that's it. I think almost every teacher we can think of just wants the best for all their kids. But I think what Russ is talking about, uh, what I hear there is that this need for navigation, this need for help, this need to just like, how do you negotiate the system of education, for example, boys need more help with that than girls do because of the developmental gaps we've talked about before. So if you don't have parents, if you don't have people who are just, it doesn't come as naturally for boys to just organize themselves to get the work done. I think that's why, by the way, among the upper middle class, among rich parents, there's not much of a gender gap. Because I think the reason for that is they're helping their boys more. Mm-hmm. They're propping their boys up. They're giving them tutoring, homework, help, making sure they've done their chemistry, homework, etc. So they're intervening. They're almost being the navigator for them. But mm-hmm. I think that's probably what's going on there. And Barbara left this note on Facebook. And Richard, this goes back to something you said kind of uh, about maybe increasing vocational or technical schools. 
Barbara writes, as our economy has shifted toward tech and service and away from those fields that required physical strength, I wonder if that has leveled the playing fields both in education and the workplace. Uh, it's it's certainly leveled the playing field because there are fewer jobs now that men men are just have an intrinsic advantage for as a result of being physically stronger, for example, or that are kind of quotes male jobs. There's been a shift away for sure. But I want to be clear that when you talk about like vocational learning or technical high schools, we're not just talking about plumbing and welding and HVAC. We're also talking about healthcare. We're also talking about healthcare assistance. Um, we're talking about some some aspects of education as well. So we should be careful not to just assume that we necessarily mean the old style technical education. A lot of it now is something like you know to get a good job in healthcare administration. That that you know technical qualification for that will really help you. This goes back to a question we've asked on a different program, and I guess we have time for this. Do you prefer somebody goes through gets, for instance, a nursing degree in a four year college, or through a technical college and sort of what they miss by not going to a four-year college, or do they not miss anything? I don't know. Yeah. The, the question I'm asking that is because some some have said that sort of the philosophical underpinnings in an education, you will miss out if you just do the technical route. Oh, I see. You miss the education for its own sake thing, I guess. Right. So that gets into the debate. Does a, you know, is a four-year superior than a two-year mm -hmm. or a technical mm -hmm. degree? And I think the answer is no. I think that it, you know, it depends obviously on the uh, discipline. I think for nursing, for instance, um, what the College of Southern Nevada offers a two-year degree versus a four-year institution, UNLV, NSC. I think if you ask the employers which do you value most, they would say either one. We mm -hmm. just need nurses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Amanda from Las Vegas, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to say that my son went to an all-boys school from K through fifth grade. And it was revolutionary. Um, I got introduced to it through preschool. I never considered all boys education and had no idea about the different ways that boys learn versus girls. Mm. And it was amazing. Um, they need time to get their wiggles out and to, you know, extra recesses and also time to be themselves um, without the pressure of having girls in the classroom. I, I always laugh because there was more crying in an all-boys school than you would ever think because they were allowed to have their full range of emotions at all times, you know? And also, though, my son is totally empathetic to his friends. Like, mm. he knew, like, he basically went to the same, the, the, in the same class with the same 25 boys for, you know, six years. So you get mm -hmm. to know each other, hopefully. But my son could tell me, like, he's like, oh, that's just my friend, you know, John, and John has his moods, and he'll be all right, you know, but like, they could sense that about each other. And I just, I really am a huge proponent of an all boys education. And I was thinking years ago, that, you know, um, boys are behind. Um, and sometimes I'm like, feminism is, isn't the best thing. And I hate to say that, but it's just like, I, I do worry about boys in today's society and knowing, you know, our government and the, how slow things are to change. I don't know how long this is going to change, you know, take to change, you yeah. know. So I just want to say this book is is wonderful. And um, I really wish there was an all-boys high school, you know, here in Las Vegas because I would send my son to it. <laughs> that is a great comment. And before I get in from Richard, we have a very similar call from Harley in Las Vegas. Welcome to the program. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. I had a very similar situation, yes. Uh, when I was a, a youth in the 60s in L.A., I was uh, in trouble all the time, could not behave, kicked out of most schools, 
and uh, eventually ended up going to a probation school uh, called Aguilar. It was all boy. And uh, when I got there, I was only there for a semester. Uh, I ended up uh, uh, doing straight A's, and uh, I loved it. Uh, They had shop classes, and uh, it was great. I enjoyed it. But because I did so well, they made me leave. I had to go back to regular school, and uh, uh, all the trouble came back again. So I I think that uh, possibly uh, all-boys schools would be a good alternative. Uh, is so fascinating. Um, either of you, has anybody posited that? Uh, certainly, I ha- I've had that uh, posited a lot, and I did look at it in the book. So many people said that this is this is the way to go. The evidence for the effect of single-sex schools just isn't that strong, I'm, I'm afraid. Um, I look pretty hard at it, and you don't see huge effects. But there's a number of caveats. One is that evidence is quite old, mm-hmm. and so it might be that now it would have more effect. Secondly, I think it might have a particular effect for particular boys, so boys of color, boys from difficult backgrounds, etc. And so the situation may have changed, and so I'm more sympathetic to the idea than, than I was. The question I'd love to ask the callers or mm-hmm. get data on is how many male teachers were in those schools? Because I think what's happening very often is that boy, all boys' schools have more male teachers. And so I wonder if we couldn't get at some of what we're trying to get through the single sex education just by having, like if 50% of the teachers in our, in our high schools or, or K-12 schools were men, great. And or if there were more all-boy spaces in sports, in scouts, in whatever it is, I sometimes think that what people are trying to get here is spaces mm. where boys boys can be with other boys and girls can be with other girls. And because our school system's co-ed and will remain co-ed, let's be realistic, mm-hmm. then I think what we have to do is say, are there spaces in the curriculum to have some boy-only and girl-only spaces? Or are there spaces in society? We've become quite suspicious, I think, of all male spaces mm-hmm. for, for, mm-hmm. for understandable reasons. But I think we've always gone too far. And I think a good data point on this is I personally thought it was a terrible mistake when Boy Scouts went co-ed. Mm-hmm. So interesting. I, I, we talked a little bit earlier about reaction to your book. Um, this country's divided. Conservatives, liberals, progressives, the ultra-right. Uh, I wonder what kind of response you're getting from those different groups. Yes, I describe myself in the book uh, as a conscientious objector in the culture wars. Mm -hmm. I'm just not a culture warrior. Um, uh, But I think that this has become a culture war issue in a way that's really unhelpful. And I think the concern from those who are on the left uh, is actually it's been been less hostile than perhaps you might have thought. So that's good. I think that shows you that that I think the world is moving. I think people are, are actually grasping that we can think two thoughts at once. We don't have to give up thought A about women and feminism to think thought B. And these problems have been going on for long enough now. And so many people, I think Magdalena would fall into this category, that women who probably consider themselves to be all in on women's rights, but can also be worried about boys. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, it's okay. We're allowing ourselves to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. The criticism from conservatives is much more actually related to my, my, uh, con- my concerns about family life, where I'm just not all in on marriage in the way that conservatives are. So it's a kind of different conversation. But, but I, I actually think that fathers and mothers are increasingly doing their parenting in different kinds of family form now, and that we should just be focusing on fatherhood and motherhood rather than on marriage. And that's obviously a, a, a problem for a lot of conservatives. But so far, at least, when people are disagreeing, they're disagreeing on the merits of the case and not dismissing this as just you know mouth-frothing culture war nonsense. I wonder if you're worried that conservatives who might think uh, patriarchy is the way to go, that the, the male should be at the, the focus mm. of the family, will glom onto this book and say, look, here's proof. Uh, men are falling behind. We have to do something more. 
uh, for men. That's that's the fear. That's the problem is that people say, well, it, well, it was working before. You know, the men were okay when they were head of the household and the primary breadwinner and they had a clear role. And that's true that to the extent that, that there was, it was a relatively clear society. There was one fatal flaw in it. It was deeply unfair and unjust, especially for women. We're not, going to, we're not going to go back, even if we wanted to, which we don't, to a world where purpose and role and direction for men was provided by in some way being superior to women. We need a model for masculinity and policies that support boys and men that is not only compatible with gender equality, but supportive of gender equality. Mm -hmm. This is the world we live in now. And the conservatives who are sort of waving us back and saying, yeah, 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 we should never have done all that women's rights nonsense. We warned you in the 70s. That's a really dangerous path to take this conversation. We are taking your calls, a fascinating topic. Uh, the book is called Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why It Matters, and What to Do About It. Richard Reeves is the author. He's with us, as well as Magdalena Martinez, Associate Professor in the Department of Public Policy and Leadership at UNLV. And her, her focus is on educational policy. And Matthew from Las Vegas, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Hi. Good morning. Morning. Um, my is, is, is a brief one, and we're running close. Um, my concern has to do uh, not so much with um, uh, parity nor equality, but I, I'm wondering about the outcomes, the outgrowth of what happens when you place a lot of resources almost immediately upon discovering that the males are willing behind. What happens when you put all that, uh, all the focus and all, all the all the resources into bringing males uh, back into play? I'm wondering if that ultimately will design itself so that uh, males, especially white males, will remain uh, in, in positions of power. Will that translate to uh, not being able to, to allow the society to change over time and have parity for everyone, including blacks, Latinos, Asians, and, and certainly, certainly women? Yeah, Richard, does a book like this, kind of what we just talked about, sort of set things back? You know, if women are making advances now, now you have this book, could it potentially stall things for, for women who are advancing? Yeah, I think it's back to this two thoughts at once issue is that we can say, look, the education system, for example, just doesn't seem to be working as well for boys and men on average as it is for women and girls. Let's let's do some stuff about that because we probably want a world where you don't have huge inequalities. But then you turn to the world of work there's still a gender pay gap. Why? Largely because of the differences between men and women's childcare responsibilities, which is a big gendered thing. So the labor market still favors men on average. It still favors particularly because they don't have those caring responsibilities. So we can think two thoughts at once. We can try and fix two problems at once. And basically, I think we should be trying to make the education system a little bit better for boys and, and men. But we need to make the labor market much more compatible for women. So there's a lot more to do on both of those fronts. And I think this idea that we somehow need to kind of, you know, we need men to do badly in one area of life to sort of uh, get to this world of equality. I think that's just really dangerous thinking um, from what's from, uh, from from more from the sort of left, I would say, on that point. Yeah, Magdalena, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say also that um, I think there's this perception that if we shift our policy focus or priority on men, that we will be taking away from women uh, priorities. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, I think that um, institutions, schools, higher education, nonprofit organizations, you know, any organization, they have the pot of money that they're going to have. Um, but rethinking what are the priorities of our society? How do we align 
these resources to our values and to the future we want to have? And I think that that's the most important question is how do we manifest our values into um, policy and to practices? And you already see this happening at UNLV, at Nevada State College, at the College of Southern Nevada, in Nevada, where there are specific programs to try to bring more males on campus and to help provide them those navigational skills that we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier and also bring along the family, right? The cultural knowledge, rather the college knowledge, is absolutely essential, not just for students of color, but all first generation. And we live in a in a region where most of our students are first generation um, students, um, low income. And so we understand that as a um, public organizations that uh, we need to provide some of that information to families and students. So we're already doing it, but not at the scale that we need to. You know, we have a, a few minutes left. I want to focus a little bit on something you talked about earlier, Richard, which was uh, the rate of suicide. Four times higher for men than it is for women. And there's another stat from the CDC in 2021 that reported three out of five girls in the United States felt persistently sad or hopeless, nearly double that of boys. So. I don't think that flies in the face of what you said. I think what I wonder if you think it means that boys and men are less likely to report sadness. And we know suicide numbers because that's a final number. But to report attempted suicide or sadness might be easier for women to do for whatever reason than for boys. I mean, what's your thinking Mm. on that? Yeah, I think the big picture here is that there there is a clear problem of mental health, mm-hmm. uh, especially among uh, boys and girls and young men and women. But it's it's coming out in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that CDC report you just mentioned is getting a lot of attention, a massive and very short-term rise in the share of high school girls saying that they're having feelings of sadness. I mean, literally mm-hmm. in two years, it's gone almost doubled. And so between 2019 and 2021. Uh, and there, I think what we're seeing is the really pernicious effect of things like social media, um, the, the, the impact of that on relationships for girls, et cetera, you know, self-esteem, you're seeing rise in things like eating disorders, worries about image. So I just think that, and girls are on that kind of social media much more than boys. So TikTok, uh, Instagram, and so on, very skewed towards girls. But for boys, I think what we're seeing, we are also seeing mental health problems as well. They're less likely maybe to be expressed or acknowledged in that kind of subjective survey but they show up in things like the objective data on deaths. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing four times as many boys and young men continuing to kill themselves, 25% increase. So there's a difference, it seems to me, in like there's clearly something going on for both. And for boys, it's actually more about isolation. Mm -hmm. They're actually less likely to have friends and more likely to be kind of addicted to one kind of internet um, thing or the other. And so this playing out very differently for girls and boys, this mental health crisis, and that's, that's okay. That just means we have to address them differently. Mm-hmm. Really, a lot more to talk about this. If you want to continue the discussion, please email us at son at knpr.org. I want to thank Richard Reeves, a senior fellow in a Bro- at the Brookings Institution, the author of Why the Modern Male is Struggling, Why It Matters, and What to Do About It, and Magdalena Martinez, associate professor of the Department of Public Policy and Leadership at UNLV. And thanks to those who called and wrote in.